0: Good afternoon, and welcome to our activity today. There is no commercial support, and the speakers and planners have disclosed no relevant financial relationships with any commercial interests. You will receive a SurveyMonkey link after today's activity. And if you're viewing online, I will list the link in the chat section of the video. And if you're viewing after the fact, look for the link in the description section of the video. Also, if you have a question and you're viewing online, please enter into the Q&A chat and we'll ask um, Travis at the end of the presentation. So now, it is my pleasure to introduce Travis Dobbs. He is a board-certified family nurse practitioner with Northeast Georgia Physicians Group in Toccoa, Georgia. He is SAMHSA-certified MAT provider He is also the founder and former CEO Medical Director for the Center for Wellness and Recovery at Northeast Georgia Detox and Treatment Facility for Substance Abuse. And also, the past four years, Travis has been the president of Hope for a Drug-Free Stevens. Join me in welcoming Travis Dobbs.
1: Good evening, everyone. Thank you, Jennifer, for inviting me to today's presentation. Uh, for the past six years, I've been able to incorporate MAT in my maternal medicine practice, so I have a lot of experience in treating substance use disorders. The medication we'll mostly be talking about today is Suboxone and buprenorphine, just the medication that I have the most experience with, so that'll be the medication we're talking about today. I think everyone is aware of the opioid crisis our nation has faced in the past few years. Uh, there's been a lot done educating providers and prescribing opioids. We've got prescription drug monitoring services. And so we have a lot of efforts have been in to combat this opioid crisis. And then the US Department of Health, SAMHSA, and the FDA have all recognized medication-assisted treatment as a safe and effective alternative to treating the opioid crisis. So over 75% of the nearly 107,000 drug overdose deaths in 2021 involved an opioid. Of those, nearly 88% of all opioid overdose deaths in 2021 involved synthetic opioids, excluding methadone. Drug overdoses have become the number one cause of injury-related death in the United States, according to Medscape. In 2017, 17% of Americans have at least one opioid prescription. More than 11.4 million people, ages 12 and older, misuse opioids. So how do we get here? So those of us that's been in the medical field long enough can all remember pain as a fifth vital sign. So in 1980, the HIV epidemic drew attention to untreated pain. There's an article came out that was published stating addiction is rare for patients treated with narcotics. It was cited more than 600 times and grossly misrepresented more than 80% of the time because it only applied to acute therapy in hospital settings, not long-term therapy. In 1990, a multitude of literature published under treatment of pain. In 1996, the American Pain Society declared pain as the fifth vital sign and Oxycontin received FDA approval. In 1998, Oxycontin manufacturers released a huge marketing push. In 2000, the Joint Commission established assessment intervention requiring pain management. Fast forward to 2007, the same manufacturer was found guilty of criminal charges for misleading the public and healthcare workers on the addictive properties of Oxycontin. 2010, the prescription use of opioids started increasing. 2016, 64,000 people died of opioid overdoses. 2017, 17% of Americans have at least one opioid prescription, and more than 11.4 million, 12 and older, are misusing them. So that's what got us to where we are today. So today we're going to be talking about Medication Assisted Treatment which is the use of medications with counseling and behavioral therapies to treat substance use disorders and prevent opioid overdose. MAT is the use of medications in combination with counseling and behavioral therapies to provide a whole patient approach to the treatment of substance use disorders. Research shows that with a combination of medication and therapy, we can successfully treat these disorders and for some people struggling with addiction, MAT can help sustain recovery. And in our practice, we also recommend counseling with the use of medication-assistant therapy because that helps you sustain sobriety. So I'm always a big advocate of our behavioral health therapists that we have in our practices. They're also, the best therapy I've found is actually peer counselors. The state of Georgia, you can actually become certified peer counselor. For anyone that's maintained sobriety for three years of older, the recommendation is five years. So peer counselors, they relate well to the patients, and they provide a great form of counseling. Always also recommend NA meetings, celebrate recovery, in addition to providing the treatment. Today we're going to be talking about buprenorphine primarily, and it is used for the treatment of addiction to opioids such as heroin and prescription pain relievers that contain opiates. The prescribed medication operates to normalize brain chemistry, block the euphoric effects of alcohol and opioids, relieve physiological cravings, and normalize body function without the negative effects of abused drugs. Buprenorphine is approved by the Food and Drug Administration, and MAT programs are clinically driven and tailored to meet each patient's needs. For anyone that really wants to become more knowledgeable in MAT, SAMHSA is a great organization. You can go online to their website, and they have a wealth of knowledge concerning these medications. And buprenorphine, how it works, it attaches to the opioid receptors in the brain and it blocks out the cravings and withdrawals of the drug. Now it's still an opioid partial agonist, so you still will have the withdrawals if you suddenly stop it, and that's the reason later we'll get into prescribing, dosing, and dosing down on it. It was approved for use in October of 2002 by the Food and Drug Administration. And medications such as buprenorphine, in combination with counseling and behavioral therapies, provide a whole patient approach to the treatment of opioid dependency. When taken as prescribed, buprenorphine is safe and effective. The most common side effect of buprenorphine is constipation, which you're going to see with any type of opioid drug. Two years ago, a report came out just indicating that it can cause erosion of your teeth. And so they do recommend rinsing your mouth, brushing your teeth after using the medication because it is a sublingual medication. And as with all medications using MAT, buprenorphine is prescribed as a part of a comprehensive treatment plan that includes counseling and participation in social support programs. So that's where the peer counseling NA, a celebrate recovery meetings are really important. Buprenorphine offers several benefits to those with opioid dependency and to others for whom treatment in a methadone clinic is not preferred or is less convenient. The FDA has proved the following buprenorphine products. And I've included just a few of the products. There's many other ones, but these are the ones that we most commonly use. The one in office we mostly use is Suboxone, which has a buprenorphine and naloxone. Naloxone is that protective factor in it. It prevents Patients from abusing the medication and it helps with overdoses. Uh, Subsolve, which this is misprinted, just has buprenorphine, sublingual tablets, but it does not have the naloxone in it. And then the preferred method is a sublocate, which is a once a month injection. They come in once every 30 days, get the injection, and it provides relief from withdrawals and cravings for 30 days. The issue we've had with it is the medication is very expensive, it's about $15, dollars a month, and it's very difficult to get the insurance companies to pay for it. So that one, you don't have to worry about drug diversion with your patients, but it's expensive and difficult to get coverage. Buprenorphine, most all uh, insurance companies have provided coverage very well, uh, even our Medicare Medicaid patients. We do have to do occasionally a prior authorization, but rarely have I ever had anybody denied on a prior authorization for buprenorphine. How it works is it has unique pharmacological properties that help lower the potential for misuse, diminish the effects of physical dependency to opioids such as withdrawal symptoms and cravings, increase safety in cases of overdose. Buprenorphine is a partial opioid agonists, but with buprenorphine, however, the opioid effects are weaker than full opioid agonists, such as heroin and methadone. Buprenorphine's opioid effects increase with each dose until at moderate doses they level off, even with further dosing increases. The ceiling effect lowers the risk of misuse, dependency, and side effects. Also, because of buprenorphine's long-acting agent, many patients may not take it every day, The half-life of buprenorphine averages about 38 hours. One of the things we tell patients when they come in or when you start treatment is they need to not have any opioids in their system for at least 48 or recommended 72 hours. Because if they have opioids in their system and you start them on the treatment, you will put them into precipitated withdrawals. So they can have any opioids in their system for recommended 72 hours or at least 48 hours. Side effects of buprenorphine are similar to those of opioids that can include nausea, vomiting, and constipation, muscle aches and cramps, cravings, inability to sleep, distress, and irritability. So you want these patients to wean and taper them off gradually not abruptly stop the medication because the effects will be similar to opioid withdrawal. And then a lot of us, it has a negative connotation because a lot of providers feel that opioid withdrawal is not life-threatening. It's not like benzodiazepines and alcohol where they have the delirium tremors and the risk of seizures. But the patient's going through these withdrawals, it feels life-threatening to them. So that's where this medication can allow them to live a productive, normal life without being withdrawal and addicted to opioids. MAT has proved to be clinically effective and to significantly reduce the need for inpatient detoxification services for these individuals. MAT provides a more comprehensive, individually-tailored program of medication and behavioral therapy. MAT also includes support services that address the needs of most patients. The ultimate goal is full recovery, including the ability to live a self-directed life The treatment approach has been best shown to increase patient survival, increase retention and treatment, decrease illicit opioid use and other criminal activity among people with substance use disorders, increases patient's ability to gain and maintain employment, improves birth outcomes among women who have substance use disorders and are pregnant. Research also shows that these medications and therapies can contribute to lowering a person's risk of contracting HIV or hepatitis by reducing the potential for relapse. Again, here's the link for SAMHSA for more information. There are a lot of misconceptions about MAT treatment. A lot of people feel that they're not in recovery because you're just replacing one addiction with another. But the medication is far safer and it allows these people to live a productive life. And so, I'm going to play just a video here. It's just me talking about some of the misconceptions that we see with MAT treatment. A common misconception associated with MAT is that it substitutes one drug for another. Instead, it's medication for one of the withdrawal symptoms and psychological problems that cause chemical imbalances in the body. M.A.T. programs provide a safe and controlled level of medication to overcome the and abuse of the world, and research has shown that when provided at
0: the proper dose, medications used in MIT have no adverse effects on a person's
1: intelligence, mental capability, physical functioning, or employability. Patients with opioid use disorder, which we refer to instead of addicts, often face a stigma. They're often referred to as addicts, exemplifying a negative attitude from the media and providers. Chronic health conditions such as diabetes and hypertension are managed with lifestyle modifications and pharmacological interventions. Best practices for treatment of opioid use disorder are no different. Buprenorphine and Loxone have been approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, recommended by the CDC and U.S. Department of Health as effective in assisting patients to achieve and sustain abstinence. The rates of prescribing pharmacological interventions remain low despite the well-documented efficacy and treatment. Only 20% of those with opioid use disorder receive pharmacological treatment. Perhaps due to the stigma that these medications are just replacing one addiction for another, and thus reluctance of providers to prescribe them. This could not be farther from the truth as these medications are essential in recovery and helping patients in community reintegration. It's hard to phantom withholding insulin to a diabetic. The same approach should be taken with those with opioid use disorders to ensure that it's truly treated as a chronic disease. buprenorphine and methadone initiation versus no treatment. So the use of buprenorphine has reduced inpatient detoxification and residential treatment episodes. It's also reduced overdose rates by 76% at the three month and 59% at 12 month intervals. Reduced opioid related ED visits and hospitalizations by 32% at three months 26% at 12 months, and a reduced total health care cost. Here's some of the statistics according to the National Recovery Database. The inpatient treatment cost is $3,200 on average. 73% of the patients complete the treatment, and only 21% remain sober after five years. Residential treatment costs average $3,100, 51% complete treatment, and 21% remain sober after five years. Detox costs are $2,200 on average, and only 17% remain sober. Outpatient drug free treatments cost 1200 on average, 43% complete treatment, and only 18% remain sober after five years. Deaths related to Suboxone are relatively rare only 400 buprenorphine-related deaths in the U.S. over the past 10 years, and you compare that to the 300,000 non-buprenorphine-related deaths in the same period of time. And of those 400 on buprenorphine, that's because they were mixing other meds with the medication. The success rates of Suboxone has been reported as high as 50 to 60%. Suboxone is safe and effective. Previously, when I first started um, using MAT treatment, became a Suboxone provider, we had to go through this training. It was about 18 hours through SEMC that you had to have. In the first year, you could only see 30 patients prescribing Suboxone. And then after the second year, you applied for a waiver, and you could treat up to 100 patients. And then after the third year and beyond that, you applied for a waiver for 240 or more patients you had to have an XDEA number. So with the opioid crisis we're in, and seeing how the benefits of MAT treatment, recently Congress eliminated that data waiver with signing of the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2023, and that's done away with needing that waiver. So now it's provided more access to these patients, and providers are now able, in the ER, outpatient clinics, to prescribe Suboxone without the confinements of having these waivers in previous training. And so the DEA fully supports rescinding the program with the goal of increasing access to life-saving treatment. Only standard DEA registration is now required. Buprenorphine is a Schedule III narcotic. and must be compliant with controlled substance prescription requirements per Georgia law. The Georgia law requires that prescribers monitor patients' control substance history via the PDMP, and that must be documented in the patient's chart. Long-term use requires a minimum drug screening of every three to four months. And this buprenorphine is a Schedule III, so if you have a DEA license, the nurse practitioners, physician assistants can also prescribe it along with physicians. So the workflow. And I base this off the workflow we use in our office. Um, I have a physician and another nurse practitioner, along with myself, that provides MAT treatment to patients. And so our workflow is the patients have to come in every thirty days. We we'll only prescribe thirty days at a time of the medications. When they come in, they have to sign a narcotics contract, real, agreeing to the terms and rules of the program. The terms is medication will not be refilled early. So, I tell them, keep it in a safe place. If you lose it, someone steals it, we cannot refill the medication early. We also do random drug screens. The drug screens have to be done a minimum of every three to four months. They can be done every month. And they sign a contract stating if they fail multiple drug screens, they're at risk of us well, not being able to prescribe Suboxone to them in the future. The State Prescription Drug Monitoring Program website must be checked and documented in the patient's medical record. It is the provider's responsibility to make patients that are not getting narcotics filled by other providers. So if they're filling other narcotics, you cannot prescribe them Suboxone. This is federal law, so you need to check your state's rules and regulations. It's recommended that patients do not take benzos or drink alcohol while taking buprenorphine. They don't mix well with the medication. So I tell the patients, no benzos, no alcohol, and we're gonna be doing drug screens to ensure your compliance. And buprenorphine is not meant to be a lifetime drug, and the goal should always be to wean them as tolerated, but without causing relapse or withdrawals. There's no set time limit, and the plan has to be personalized to the patient. And so on the Suboxone, it comes in FEMS and sublingual TABS. Um, most patients prefer the FEMS. They have a less of an aftertaste, but the TABS are cheaper. So we probably prescribe half FEMS, half TABS in our practice. The dosing is eight milligrams of buprenorphine and two milligrams of Naloxone. is the highest recommended dose at three times a day. We never start anybody at above three times a day for the treatment of opioid use disorder. The recommended dose is twice a day, and then from there, our goal is to wean them down. The films come in an eight and two milligram, a one milligram, and it comes in an eight and two milligram, a four and one milligram, and a two and 0.5 milligram dose. And that way you can slowly titrate them. Um, the subsolve is different dosing options because it's just buprenorphine. The sublingual tabs only come in an 8 and 2 milligram and a 2 and point 0.5 milligram. They don't have the 4 milligram dosing on it. And what I have found to be successful in titrating and weaning patients is doing half doses. So if they're on three a day, we go to two and a half, we go to two, one and a half. And then once they get to one a day, we can start titrating the dose down for those patients. And I've found that that decreases the withdrawals. And then once you get them down to the lowest dose of the two and 0.5, they can come off of it and they'll feel bad for a few days, but they're more successful and less withdrawal symptoms by being on the lowest dose possible. Research shows that the best counseling is peer-based, as we talked about before. All patients on MAT should be recommended to go to narcotics anonymous meetings, N.A. As a buprenorphine provider, you will be following up with your patients every 30 days and closely monitoring their mental health. Remind patients that recovery is a lifelong journey. And what I'll tell patients is the goal is to have more good days than bad. If you're having more bad than good, then we need to look at other treatment options. I also recommend finding local organizations you can refer patients to, such as Celebrate Recovery, uh, local areas to refer them to, local churches. So kind of get familiar with local organizations that you can tell these patients about for counseling. Uh, we have behavioral health counselors in most of our practices now. They are great for having these patients with counseling and mental health disorders. Mental health and opioid use disorders often occur as a dual diagnosis. Roughly 50% of individuals with severe mental disorders are affected by substance abuse. 37% of alcohol abusers and 53% of drug abusers have at least one serious mental illness. Of all people diagnosed as mentally ill, 29% abuse either alcohol or drugs, according to SAMHSA. And what we have found, that almost three out of five patients we treat have underlying mental health, whether it's depression, bipolar, anxiety. And so if you can treat these patients for these underlying mental health, your benefit of using MAT and then maintaining sobriety goes up significantly because a lot of these patients are just self-medicating. The other thing I found with my experience is that a lot of times when you start them on buprenorphine naloxone, you're clearing those receptor sites. And so for the first time in years, these patients aren't self-medicating, but the depression and anxiety increases significantly because everything hits them at one time and they're not numbing their mind anymore. So I always recommend when you're treating these patients, do your PHQ-9s, your GAD scores, and make sure you monitor them for worsening depression and anxiety and treat them appropriately because assess rates will be significantly improved if we treat the underlying mental health along with the substance use disorder. According to the American Addiction Centers, more than 50% of those living with dual diagnosis, co-occurring mental health disorder did not receive any medical treatment or psychotherapeutic intervention to help them progress in their recovery. And then I have listed here the references of everything I used in the research. And now I'm gonna turn it over to any questions from the audience or online.
0: Thank you, Travis. If you're viewing online and you have a question, please enter it in the Q&A chat, and we'll um, ask those for him. Any questions or comments in the audience? it interesting. Thank you.
1: I would recommend anybody want more information to the American Association of Nurse Practitioners created this essential pocket guide to opioid use disorder, and, and it's really a great guide talking about how we got here. It also goes through the neurobiology of opioid use disorder, so it's really a great tool for anybody wanting to you know, educate themselves on opioid use disorders as well.
0: Thanks, Travis, for a great talk. Um, The statistics are terrible, in my opinion. So how do you, as a provider, like, come back every day knowing that the statistics is just so low, like 50% recovery, and we're spending so much money in these drugs? Well... I guess this is a loaded question related to the pharmacology. <laughs> yeah, let me give it to Dr. Youssef
1: on that Thank you, by the way, this was a great presentation. We, we were just discussing about that, I didn't know. It, it's such a low five-year sober rate. I mean, like 20% on average, regardless of outpatient, inpatient, or all other combinations. What do you so so that you can answer both our questions, Dr. Walker's in mind? How do you attribute that? To what needs to happen to increase, or what are other modalities that will increase the five-year sober rate? And so, well, the statistics show is that what we're doing hasn't been working. You know, most of these facilities we send the patients to for detox and treatment—they're there for seven days. Um, it takes 30 days to create change. And so what I found is just, it's not long enough. And so when I founded the Center for Wellness and Recovery, I implemented a 30-day program. In my opinion, the program really needs to be 90 days to up to six months. Um, Because we did a week of detox and then we would do three weeks of intensive counseling and provided them tools to be successful in recovery and coping skills. With medication assistance, the good thing about this program is the number one rule with treating patients is you've gotta have someone that's willing to admit they have a problem and admit they need help. If someone is there that truly wants help, then the medication assistance programs have a very high sustainability and sobriety. But they've gotta want it for the right reasons. If they're there because the court mandates it or if their spouse is making them go, then I found the success rate's gonna be much lower. So you really need to when patients come in, find out why are they there, why do they want help to increase your success rates. But I have found that the success rates of medication-assisted treatment, like we probably have 150 to 200 people in the program right now between three providers, and our success rate has been 50 to 60%, which is much higher than what the average is on typical detox and treatment programs. So that's the reason the push for medication-assisted treatment because it's just safe and effective, but we have better success rates with it. And you're able to see these patients every 30 days and follow up with them. I mean, I've got patients, I've got down to the lowest dose, but I've been seeing them four years, but they've maintained their sobriety. And so I'm so proud of those patients for maintaining that sobriety, knowing that success rates are very low.
0: And I just have a question. The MAT provider, anyone any provider can do that like so
1: with the new laws in place anybody that has a dea license can prescribe sabotson and buprenorphine
0: okay excellent. and there's no
1: limit on the number of patients anymore
0: excellent all right thank you very much
1: thank you thank you Honor.